Honestly, he is so good at process. Uh, he reminds me of a mix of his mom and dad, and he is leading this team, and I'm excited about his leadership. At 26, he is a mature leader already. And so what a great opportunity to serve in church. And I, I echo, our youth and kids' ministries are rolling, and they're doing great, but we just believe that God has a person for both of those that will uh, take it to the new le next level. And your role is to pray. Please pray, pray, pray that God would hear our prayers and, and lead us, as Luke said, to the right person, not just to fill a position. You ever read um, or sing worship songs and you go, yeah, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that worship song. Um, here's one. It's a little bit older, but uh, it, it's, it's above all. And uh, it's, uh, can I have those words on the screen, please? Uh, so, so think about, Crystal said to me, Ed, you should sing this to start. And I said, there's a reason I'm not on the worship team. And it's because I can't sing that well. And she said, no, no, you can sing, you can sing. Like, like, like put me on a cliff and push me over. That, you know, <laughs> you can't sing. Look at that as you fall and crash. So I'm going to read this to you. Above all, above all powers, above all kings. Like if you know it, Crystal, go ahead and start singing. Right? Above all uh, nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of men. You were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there is no way to measure what you're worth. Crucified and laid behind the stone, you live to die, rejected all alone, and like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. And I absolutely detest that song. I despise that song. It, 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 I, it, when I sing it, I just wince, and you're going, well, what's wrong with you? That is a fabulous song. Did you listen to the words? And yes, right up until the last line, I love the song. It is so good. And then they throw in that only a Westerner could do, take the majesticness and the greatness of God and make it all about me. That's what that song does. Above all. He's above all. He's above all people. He's above all thrones. He's above all wealth. He's above everything, but it's all about me. That's why I don't like that song. I like it until that final line. Now, I know what you're going to say. You know, Ed, you need to read your Bible because it says Jesus died for our sins and that he died on the cross for our sins and my sins. And so it is about me. And I would say there's a difference between benefiting from something and it being all about you. There's a difference. And when it comes to our salvation, there are 
two ditches we fall into. One is God could never love me. He, I've done so wrong or he's, he's, he doesn't really care about me. That's one ditch. Or everything that God done is for me and he serves me. And we would never say those words, but that's how we think and act. When the truth of the matter is, I, I'm like a guy with a ticket to the Super Bowl. Can you imagine having a ticket to the Super Bowl? Very few people get tickets to the Super Bowl. And I go take my ticket, and I sit in my seat, and I see all the fanfare, and all the music, and all the game, and all the players, and all the coaches, and all the media, and I say, this is all for me. Now, I benefit from being there, no question. But if I, anybody who sits in the seat of a Super Bowl game and thinks it's all about them is sadly mistaken. And when we, in our Western individualistic mindset, we, we lean to this sense that Jesus and the cross is all about me and my sin and my, 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 my needing to be reconciled to God, that he died for me. And yes, he died for humans. I'm not saying he didn't. And yes, his death gives me life. But it's not about me. I benefit. But there was something greater going on than the cross when Jesus died than him thinking about Ed Fontaine. And see, the reason I'm going at this is because when we have this mindset, and we are influenced by our culture. We live in the Western individualistic culture that is fast becoming, and you don't need me to tell you, is, is fast becoming about the individual. How does that person, it's all, everything has to bend around one person, the individual. And when you bend the cross, around mankind and the individual, and you lose God, then his commands become optional. Because it's all about me. And if I don't feel like it, well then, I won't do it, because it's all about me. When I sing that song, that last line, I just wince at it and go, mm, there's something wrong with that. And so as we end our series on the harvest, I want to do, I'm going to try to do something. I don't know if I can, but I'm going to try to show you that the cross of Jesus Christ, while it benefits us, and while Jesus' death does pay for our sin, and while I have life only in Jesus, that is all true, that the cross of Jesus Christ, I want to show you, is about a lot more than me and you. And it's our privilege, our privilege, not only to be redeemed from our sin by Jesus, but to be called by him to carry on the whole purpose for the cross. Matthew chapter, let's start with uh, Matthew chapter um, 28, verse 18. I'm not really going to get through this whole passage. I'm going to touch on a bunch of passages. By the way, Today's, we're going into the Bible, like we usually do. But I mean, we're going to go into many places in the Bible, so hang on. 
and stick with me. When the, our cycles are like our cycle of attention. I'm with you, I'm with you. Oh, I wonder what we're having for lunch. Oh, look at that dress. I said, oh yeah, I see. So we do that. That's just normal, right? So when you realize you're thinking about lunch or what somebody's wearing or your nails, oh yeah, I got to get back in this, okay? And I'm telling you where I'm going. I want to show you the cross is about more than you and me. Yes, we benefit from it, but it's about far more than you and me. Jesus comes to them, he rose from the dead, he comes to his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and I will be with, as you go on this, the great commission, that's what this is called by scholars, the great commission, Jesus says, you go make disciples and then teach them to observe everything I've taught you, and I'm with you in that process, and this is called the great Commission. Now, why is it called the Great Commission? Well, that's easy. It's because it's the main priority of the church. It's what Jesus called us to do. Well, it's important. That's not why they call it the Great Commission. Yes, it's important. And, and yes, it's a priority. But, you know, breathing is important. And it's a priority. I've never stopped for more than a few minutes my whole life. And the longer I go without breathing, the more important it becomes. But I don't call it, and neither do you, the great breathing. We just call it breathing. And this isn't called a commission. This is called the great commission. Why? Because of all it encompasses. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation from the throne room of God to the dirt floors of people living in poverty, from the hearts of people in uh, India, Africa, Middle East, Russia, to, to, uh, to all the islands of the world, to the, the, the South America, to North America, to Europe, to, to all the hearts, all the directions of the globe. This encompasses it all. And it is initiated and implemented and bought and paid and directed and overseen by God Almighty. And when Jesus starts, these words we barely pay attention to when we read this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What did he mean by that? What does he mean? All authority in heaven and in earth. We skip over that phrase, that sentence, a lot. Namely because I think we don't really have a, a clear idea of what he's talking about. So let me give you a bit of a clear idea. Daniel chapter seven. Uh, Daniel is seeing a vision. And he says in 13, In my vision at night I looked and there was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, clearly God, and he was led into his presence and he was given authority, glory and sovereignty, power, all nations, 
All peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is everlasting and his dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Here is this one, clearly Jesus, who comes into the throne room of the Ancient of Days and the Father bestows on him all authority, all power, all right. Over what? All nations, all peoples. Now stop and think about that. Did you know that the spiritual realm and the earthly realm are connected? That when there is authority in the spiritual realm, it's played out in the earthly realm. That the world in which you and I live isn't just flesh and blood, but that there are powers and authority that rule and influence and direct the cultures and the nations of this world. That there's more than just what we see. Over in Daniel chapter 10, the same idea comes out again. This is another I gotta find my place here. This is another, which one is it? 12, there we go. This is another vision. That Daniel sees. And he is so overwhelmed by the presence of this supernatural being that he can hardly speak. Then this, the angel touches him, or the being I should say, touches him and he says, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding to a previous vision you'd had and to humble yourself for God, your words were heard. And I have come to respond to them. So it was three weeks ago that Daniel saw this vision. He's been praying and fasting for three weeks. God, give me understanding. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. So here comes this powerful being out of the throne room of God. Some think it may be Christ, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ himself. But he can't get to Daniel for 21 days because there is this prince of Persia that is fighting him the whole way. And this is not a physical, earthly human battle. It is a spiritual battle between two powers in the spiritual realm. Then Michael, one of the chief, and we know Michael is not some sort of king in Israel. We know Michael one of the chief princes. It's a term referred only to celestial beings. Came to help me because I was detained there by the king of Persia. And now I'm going to, now that I'm here, I'm going to explain it to you. And then in verse 20 he says, do you know why I've come to you? Soon I'll return to fight against this prince and then I will go and, and when I go the prince of Greece will come but first I tell you what is written in the book of truth. So there's these rulers over Persia and over Greece who are directing and controlling what's happening on earth, but they're not on earth. Did you know that the world that we live in is being directed and influenced and controlled by celestial beings, by spiritual beings that are part of the spiritual realm. 
Now, don't lose heart, because in Psalm chapter 89, Asaph, or uh, Ethan, the Ezraite, writes, for who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? So where is he talking about? Who in the skies above? Now this is really pre-flight, like this is before planes were ever around, right? Where is he talking about? The skies above, the heavens. Who up there in that spiritual realm compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord who reigns among the heavenly beings? There's this whole realm of spiritual beings and God, Yahweh, rules them all. In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. In a, there is a council. God created a council of, of holy ones, of these divine, powerful beings over which he rules. Where do you think the Greeks got their idea of Zeus and all the gods that reign with him? This is pre-Greek. The writing isn't, the thinking is. In this council is God rules over all these powerful, distinct spiritual beings. And his will is worked through them into our world. Who is like you, Lord Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. Clearly, the psalmist is saying there is this council of, of spiritual beings that, that have influence on the earth, but God rules over all, and his plans are being worked through them despite their actions for good or evil. Look at verse Psalm 82. God presides, so the word God here is Elohim. It is a word that is often used and translated God. Elohim, it's a significant word, and, but it's also used in this verse two times. So Elohim presides in the great assembly. We already heard about that in Psalm 89, that great council. He presides, he rules over that, and he renders judgment among the Elohim. God judges the gods. So we are not dealing with a situation that is here on earth. The term itself means a divine or celestial being. It is not human. And God, Yahweh, rules over all the gods, small g. The divine being. They use the word gods because that's the best word we have in English to convey the idea that we are not talking about humans. We are talking about these celestial beings. And this is what he says. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Now he's beginning to assess their reign and their influence on earth. And you've been bad. You've been rebellious. You have defended unjust. You have advanced wickedness. You, have, uh, you didn't defend the weak and the fatherless. You didn't uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. You didn't rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the hand of the wicked. I gave you responsibility and authority to rule out over the earth and you have used it for wickedness and not for righteousness. This is a judgment of the divine beings that have authority in this world. The Elohim know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk in darkness. 
All the foundations of the earth are shaking. Clearly not all divine beings are good. Some are evil. And clearly some evil ones have roles of power and authority in this world. I said, you are gods. You are all, and now this term is only ever used of spiritual beings. You are sons of the Most High. In the Old Testament, that is a term reserved only for spiritual beings. But you will die like mere mortals. He didn't say you'll die because you are mere mortals. He says you will die like You know, like the mortals you've been overseeing, now you are going to suffer the consequences that they suffer. You will fall like every other ruler. And then the psalmist says, rise up, O God, judge the earth for all the nations. All the places where these divine beings had rulership and authority that was given to them. Take it back, it all belongs to you. Now let's, time out. No, I have not flipped my lid. I'm not crazy. Some of what I'm saying to you is weirding you out a little bit. Because number one, we live in a very, uh, the foundations of our Western culture are very scientific. And so if you can't prove it, it obviously doesn't exist. But how do you prove this? How do you prove that there is a spiritual realm with science? Science is great. Science was started by Christians to reveal the glory of God and how he created this world. But science never was intended nor could explain a spiritual realm. It can only be revealed. You've had to be there and tell about it. And these writers, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who rules over that realm, is explaining to us what is going on where we can't see. We, don't, we aren't giving a lot of information in scripture about how these spiritual beings influence our culture and our world and our nations and our lives. We're just told that they do. You don't need to know how they do it. You just need to know that they do because you're gonna go head to head against them. But I'll give you everything you need. But if you come from a scientific mindset, it's easy to go, See, it's stuff like this. It's stuff like this that discredits Christianity. And I would say it's stuff like this that explains life. But you choose what you want to believe. Or you grew up in a very conservative (laughs) church. We're one of those more conservative church in your beliefs. And in, in our, I think, mistake, In our reaction against the extremes of the charismatic movement back since the early 1900s all the way through the 70s and into the 80s maybe, the charismatic movement went extreme and talked about spiritual things and said stuff they had no idea about. Everything was spiritual. There was a rock demon everywhere. They just went overboard and became emotionalism. And so we said, we're not going to be caught by that. We're going to stand over here and we're going to stay true to the word. Except those passages that talk about spiritual beings, we'll just say that they're nonsense. So we went, we swung the other way. As if any of this stuff 
was wrong because it's spiritual, about a spiritual realm. Or maybe you're just weirded out because it is weird. Like, I'm honestly, like, I get the flesh and blood stuff, but this spiritual realm and powers and rulers and authorities and cosmo craters. I mean, that's a Greek term for one who rules a large area. I, I, okay. But it's in the scriptures. And so my discomfort with it must reveal not that it's not right, but that I just don't understand it. I do not bend the Bible to my understanding. I enlighten my understanding according to the Bible. There's a big difference in that. And so the word of God is teaching us that there are authorities and powers that are active in this world. How did they ever get to be controlled in the nations? And now I got a boogie. Um, Let me tell you a great Sunday school story, okay? Just sit back, I'm gonna read it for you. We all love Sunday school stories. Now the whole land had one language and command speech. And as the people moved eastward, they found the plain of Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered all over the face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the people of the building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they can begin to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. Come, let us. By the way, who is he talking to when he said, come, let us? Yeah, the most common interpretation is Jesus. I would argue he's talking to the council. You know, his divine council. Whom he's given authority and power. You will see through the Old Testament and New Testament pictures of this council popping up where God talks among his council and they make decisions. Anyway, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they'll not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel because there the Lord confused the languages of the whole world and from the Lord scattered over the face of the earth. And that's why we have different languages in the world. Let's pray is what you usually get in Sunday school. What is really happening here is that God from the beginning of Genesis has sent man, created the world, and put mankind, men and women in it, to rule the world as his image bearers. And image bearers, Genesis 1.26, they're called imagers because we rule like God and his counsel in the physical realm. And they rebelled against God. And Genesis 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 are all about various rebellions to the plan of God, which was to multiply in the earth, go throughout it, and then bring it under the rule of God so that the whole earth would be a place where all people could dwell with God. That was his plan. 
But man kept sinning and rebelling. And even the angels, the sons of God, got into it. Chapter 6. And God has to keep uh, bringing us back in and hitting the restart button. That's why there's a flood. Because man got so wicked and so off God. So the only way to do this is restart everything. That's the context. And then these people gathered together and God said, go and multiply through the earth. And they said, we like it here. We aren't going through the earth. We're staying here. No, by the way, we're going to build a tower, a ziggurat. A ziggurat is a Middle Eastern, ancient Middle Eastern tower for worship. And they said, let's make a name for ourselves and we will worship ourselves. It is saying to God, they're really giving God the finger right here. And God says, let us go down and see what they're doing. And he goes, you don't want to, you don't want to scatter through the earth? Fine. I will confuse your languages and you will then be divided into groups and then you will go to your corners. It's like daddy discipline right there. Go to your rooms. You have a room, you go there, you've got a room, you go, and they were divided by their languages and sent to the room. Why? Do you know where that answer is given? Acts 17. Let me show it to you. Again, the God who made everything in this world in its and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built by human hands and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Now watch. From one man he made all nations. From Adam he made all nations. Do you know where nations are first referred to in the scriptures? Genesis 11. Babel. You know that nice Sunday school story? From Adam... He made all nations, and then that, he, that they should inhabit the whole earth. Remember, that's the command that God gave to Adam and Eve and all humans spread through the earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. There is a description of Babel right there. Why God? God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. The Tower of Babel was we don't got man saying, we don't need you and we don't want you and we won't worship you. And God said, I made a promise all the way back in Genesis 3 that I would redeem mankind and you will not stop me from doing it. And so, boof! And he did it so that man might be redeemed because if he didn't do it, who knows how far we would go. Perhaps another situation where he would have to well he will bring the whole world in judgment it's coming and look in Genesis chapter 30 or Deuteronomy Moses gives us a little more insight to this and he's talking to his own people and he goes you guys God keeps helping you and he keeps leading you and you keep 
turning your back on him and he says, remember. And so then he refers to, I'm going to give you an illustration of what, where this all leads. When you, you turn your back on God and decide you're going to go your own way. He says, remember the days of old, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 7. Consider the generations long past. Now Moses is, is the generation, the first generation of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. They're just a young nation at that point. And he goes, I want to take you way, way, way back. Ask your father and he'll tell you, your elders, and they'll explain it to you. These stories are embedded in our culture. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, where did that happen? Genesis 11, go to your room. I'm gonna give you different languages and I'm gonna give you different places to live. And when that happened, he says, when he divided all mankind and he set boundaries for the people, clearly, this is Genesis 11 Babel, according to the numbers of the sons, and in the text it says sons of Israel, but the actual text reads sons of God. Now, I already said to you that that term sons of God is only used of divine beings. So why does it say the sons of Israel? Well, not every translation says the sons of Israel. Other translations say the sons of God. And the Dead Sea Scrolls confirm that the original Hebrew writing is sons of God. And it doesn't really make sense because in Babel, Israel wasn't even created yet. It would be hundreds of years before Abraham, the original, uh, the, the father of all Hebrews, it'd be hundreds of years before he ever shows up on the scene. And so how could he divide the people of the world according to the sons of Israel? And it doesn't even make sense. Why would they put sons of Israel when it reads actually literally sons of God? Because they don't have a framework to understand what this is referring to. In the study I've done, Jewish interpreters, so this is the sons of God. It's English, Christian, late century interpreters that call it the sons of Israel. Because we don't understand the spiritual realm that's going on. And what Moses is saying is that when God went in Babel, not only did he send them to the room and he said, so you don't want to worship me? Remember Romans 1? Oh, you don't want to obey me? I'll give you over to what you want. And so God says, you don't want to obey me and worship me? Then I'll give you a different Elohim to rule over you. There it is. That man in our rebellion against God brought ourselves to the point where we literally were giving the finger to God. And God said, fine. And in the spirit of Romans 1, I will give you over to what you want. Acts 17 says he did it so that we might come around in the times and places of his choosing. But he gives us over. And instead of the nations, the peoples now having God ruling over them directly, it will be one of the Elohim. And Psalm 82 tells us, the Psalm we read about him judging the Elohim, that some of them rebelled against God and took mankind down a wrong path. And Jesus, <laughs> comes into the world and does the unthinkable. 
Remember I told you I'm gonna talk about the cross? Jesus comes into the world and he does the unthinkable. He dies to pay for the sin of mankind so as to restore the order, the purpose, and the plans of God started in Genesis that will end in Revelation. And he said, I kicked. I won victory over all the principalities and powers and rulers that were leading mankind astray at the cross. I smashed them and took their authority. John describes it in Revelation as he took the keys of the kingdom of darkness. He walked in and grabbed them and they were powerless to do anything because he broke their authority by paying for sin and restoring mankind back to the place that God intended for us to hold. And he says, now, you join me. We're going out into the world and we're taking back the world from the hands of the evil ones that seek to destroy them and, and dominate them and blind them and kill them. I'm going, are you coming with me? Huh, are you going? That's what he's saying. There's none that can stand before me. That's why Paul in Ephesians, or Ephesians chapter 6.10 says, your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against what? Powers, rulers, authorities, kingdoms of darkness. That's who we're fighting against because they still have influence. Jesus broke their authority. He took it from them and he said, now I'm sending my church into the world to do what God sent Adam and Eve back in Genesis and now to finish the job and in Revelations it finished and we now live in a stage of history where Jesus is still out front and still calling people to come with them into the harvest. What are you going to do about it? That's the call. That is the great commission. That is why Jesus went to the cross. And when he was thinking on the cross, it was not, well, Ed Fontaine, you know, in a couple thousand years is going to be saved. And then he's going to be able to call on me. And, you know, I'll do what I need to do for him. And I'll make his life wonderful. That is not what he was thinking. He was thinking there is a world of humans that are being deposed and dominated and controlled to damnation. And I am winning them back. That's what he was thinking. And I'm exalting the Father and his goodness and his faithfulness that he promised and that he has kept despite the sin and the rebellion that man keeps doing. He keeps seeing his plan through for the love of people that I benefit from. This command, this commission is not optional. It's not like, well, I just don't feel like doing it. It's obey or not obey with consequences. And so in this whole harvest series, I do not want you to think, oh yeah, that's just something that, you know, the pastor does. I'm not responsible to reach people. You are in a realm of people 
God has put you in. And his calling on your life, I can say without a doubt, is for you to be a voice of God in those people. And for some of you, you've never done this. And so I said, start with prayer. Start, make a list of all the people in your realm of influence and start praying for them. I do that. I have that list. I pray through it all the time. And I ask God to use me somehow. And then maybe you need to join Byron on November 6th and learn how to share the gospel. You go, I, I'd like to share the gospel. I don't know how. Well, we'll teach you. November 6th, right after church for about an hour, Byron's going to show you the three circles. Very easy, relevant way to pre- to present the gospel. Join up, sign up, info at Springville. Just sign up, go to the welcome then. Say, I want to be part of that. Could put my name down. If you're a life group, use the, Lester and I produced this five steps to sharing Jesus. About 10 minutes added onto your life group time. And learn to walk through and go, oh, well, this is how you do it. We run Alpha. We run Alpha as a church so you can invite people to. You can do it as a life group online. You can do it as individuals online. Invite somebody. I was shocked when I invited and they said yes. It's the best thing I ever did. How are you going to get them? You've got to step up. You've got to choose. And I know because I, I know it's hard. But hardness is not the criteria for deciding not to do something. If that were the case, no Olympic athlete would ever win a gold medal. And if that were the case, no lost soul would ever come to Jesus. It's hard because we're battling spiritual forces that want to keep us suppressed so the gospel of Jesus Christ does not go into the lives of the people we know so that they may be damned forever in hell. That's the, that's the plan of the evil one. And Jesus' plan is, no, you go, carry the light. Carry my name. Carry the gospel of hope. And watch as we work together in people's lives. Jesus, uh, it is a great commission. Forgive us for either doubting your love for us or thinking it's all about us, but teach us to view this right, to see the grandness of the plan that you have made, the depth of the sacrifice you have made, the power that you have over the spirits of this world that have gone evil and are are trying to convince and lead this world to go astray. And grant us the courage to take the step that you're calling us to take, whatever it is, so that we might exalt you, we might exalt the Father and be part of the plan and the victory that you are winning in this world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.